When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. Entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God endures forever. Well, you know the story. Three women awake at first light to, to pay their respects to a man they knew for certain had died. And make no mistake about it, on that first morning, as those women made their way to the grave, there was not a doubt in their mind that this was the end. Mark's gospel tells us Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Mary of Salome, had already seen more than enough. Just before our passage this morning, we found that they, they had watched the soldiers crucify him. They had watched as the cross swung up into its upright position. They watched as each breath became shallower than the next. And then we're told they stood from a distance and they watched as Jesus took his last. And just to be sure, we're then told that two of the three women then went and watched firsthand as this wealthy stranger named Joseph of Arimathea took the limp body off of Christ, off that cross, wrapped it in linens, and laid him in the tomb. There was no doubt in their minds, this was it. Have you ever been to a funeral expecting anything different than to bury your loved one? I mean, there wasn't a thought in their minds that Jesus could be anything but dead in that tomb. Just as you and I might bring flowers to a graveside to pay our respects, three days later, they brought their perfumes, right? Their spices, their oils to anoint the body of Christ. You know, I'm not sure we'll ever fully grasp like the complete and total sorrow and trauma of that morning. It must have felt like, like the fog of war, right? Just... Think about all that had happened in that one week's time. Just imagine with me all the, the sayings, all the, the pictures that were in their mind. Crucify him, crucify him. <laughs> I thought he was the king of the Jews. He can't even save himself. Look at him. Must have been lost up in it. And so it would make sense then, right, that just about the time that they arrived, they realized they had forgotten the most important detail of the day. Did you catch that? Look at this again. And they were saying to one another, wait a second, who's going to roll away the stone for us? It's a bit humorous, right? All, all but muted. You've got the burial spices in hand. Everyone's on their way to the gravesite, except you misplaced the key piece of your morning plan. How are you going to get in? You ever had that morning where 
the kids are abnormally rowdy and life got a little bit too busy and maybe you're, you're sleep deprived and suddenly you lost the keys. Some of you are looking at me like, yep, that's me right now. Do you know that in our short-term memory that the average mind can only handle seven things at once? Seven items, that's it. That's my excuse whenever I forget something. Like, not my fault. God created me that way. Brains at capacity. Just consider the strain of that week. I mean, of course they missed the detail. Who's gonna roll away the stone? And when we think about it, it's a massive problem. You know, most of the tombs in Jesus' time were, were these covered square blocks. They weren't the round ones that we think of. Archaeologists say 98% of all tomb doors were actually cut into, into squares instead of wheels. But for the rich, they would hire out these masons to, to create these massive wheels that would roll down an embankment and then lock into place. They were made impossible to move. And remember, Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man, right? Which I got to thinking, this is ironic. It's the only time Jesus experienced worldly riches. And it was at his death. Just before our lesson, we're told the women watched as Joseph rolled that uh, stone into place. But no matter how you, you see the shape, right? All the stones were made for the same purpose. They were made to stay put. Even in that time, the grave theft was rampant. So scholars say that the average size of these wheels was somewhere between five and six feet in diameter. And it's clear, these women on their own, they don't have the strength to move it. Spices in hand, they're, they're ready for the graveside, ready for the anointing, longing for some sense of closure, except there's one massive problem. You've got a stone in your way. This morning, I wanna spend the rest of our time focused on that stone together. When you think about the Easter story, let me just ask you, what is that stone in your life? What is it that for some reason seems to stand as a roadblock between you and your relationship with this man they call Jesus? You know, it's crazy. Every time I open up the pages of this story, every single year, time and time again, whether it be Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you will find just about everyone on the pages struggling with some sort of stone. For the women, it was tangible, right? It was, a, it was a literal barrier between them and the body of Christ. But they weren't the only ones. Think about Peter. Think about the stone Peter dealt with. He was, he was supposed to be the rock of the faith. Jesus said, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And yet now he's stuck with his own stone, his own barrier, lost in his sin. You might remember his story, right? Christ came to him before this, this week of events and he said, Peter, things are gonna get real. Things are gonna get intense. He said, I'm going to the cross and listen, it's not gonna play out like you think. And with confidence, P Peter told Jesus, he said, don't worry, Lord, I'm the last guy to let you down. Everybody else will fade away, I've got your back. Jesus told Peter, by the time the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. So they arrested Christ. They took him down into town for interrogation. Peter stood on the outside of the walls of the house and he had three distinct opportunities, three chances to associate himself with Jesus and all three attempts failed. I didn't know the man. 
The rooster crowed, he fell on his face in shame. It's a pretty big stone, isn't it? What's your stone? You might remember Thomas, we call him Doubting Thomas. For him, his stone was skepticism. John's gospel tells us even as the risen Lord was standing right before him, he couldn't believe it. He said, look, unless I put my hands and my finger into his wounds, I will never buy into this reality. Hmm. I think so many of us get stuck right here. We get it, right? We get doubting Thomas, a man rising from the dead. I'm, I'm not sure I buy into that. Maybe you're here because someone invited you this morning. Maybe you're still wrestling with that yourself. Let me just say that if that's you, if that's you, you are in good company, right? Because in Matthew's gospel, when the disciples encountered the risen Lord, we're told they worshiped him. But get this, some doubted. If we kept on looking at the disciples in stones, we'd find there were more barriers. They had a barrier of fear. They had locked themselves behind closed doors. They were terrified that what just happened to Jesus just might now happen to them. Their anxieties had crippled them. That was their stone. Again, here's my Easter question for you. What is it that stands between you and the risen Lord? Reminds me of a a story of a, a young boy from New England. He was just obsessed with ships growing up. And each day after school, he would go out to the dock and he would watch these fishing boats coming in and out of the harbor. And as he got older, he decided, you know what? I'm going to build my own mini boat to join the party. So he spent months designing this this ship and building his little sailboat. And he was so proud of it. When it finally came time to set sail, he he put the boat in the water and he ran back to the truck to, to get all of his gear. But just as he did, this massive wind picked up out of nowhere and sent this little boat blown out to sea. He was left helpless as he watched it disappear over the horizon. And for weeks, he would go back to the bay to that same place, hoping that he'd, he'd find the lost boat again, but he never found it. So finally, one day, he was walking downtown, and he, he looked in this store window, a sporting goods store, and there it was, hanging up in the, in the ledge of the window. So he ran, and he swung the door open. He said, I found it. I found it. That's my boat. The clerk said, no, it's not. That's my boat. He said, how much do you want? She said, you can't afford it. He told the clerk, he said, look, I'll give you everything I have. Just, I need that boat. She had a moment of compassion. So as he emptied his wallet, she handed him the boat. As he took it down out of the window, he said, little boat, you are twice mine. You were mine first because I made you. And now you're mine because I bought you. Who will roll away the stone for us? The women asked. How in the world will we get in, they wondered. All the while, God's plan of redemption and purchasing us from our sins was at work. Really, what stands in the way of you fully experiencing the resurrection promise of Jesus Christ this morning? Do you know the Easter answer? It's really simple. I'll give you the answer to that question. It's nothing. The answer to that question is nothing. Nothing now stands in the way of you and Jesus. That's the message of Easter. That's the story of our faith, right? This is the promise of God's word. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away. 
I love how Mark adds in there too. It was very large, by the way. And they could have never moved it on their own, right? They, they were stuck. They were ruminating on it. They, they had created this problem in their minds, this, this doubt, this struggle, these trials in their minds that didn't even exist. All the while, God had already moved his plan to fruition. See, so often I feel like we're told that that stone was removed so that Jesus could walk out of the grave, right? So that he could be free from the prison that was that tomb. And I'll buy into that. I think it makes sense. But just consider this with me. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, is a mere stone really going to stand in his way? See, here's my thought. What if that earthquake, what if that angel rolled that stone away because it was less about Jesus getting out and more about us getting in? And entering the tomb, they, they find this young man, he's sitting next to what used to be Jesus' body, and they were dumbfounded. Suddenly, your spices seem a bit out of place. See, in Matthew's account of this, he fleshes this out even more. Look at this in Matthew 28, 3. He says, it was an angel who had an appearance of lightning, clothing white as snow. Three women ready to bury their loved one. I can't even fathom. The Greek word here it gives it even more emphasis. It says they were ekthambos. That's the root word, the Greek word for trauma. They were traumatized. They were astonished, amazed. They were marveling. See, if you believe the Easter story to be true, when that finally grips your heart, then there's nothing typical about that encounter, right? That's earth-shattering, life-changing news. When you finally realize that the, the power of Jesus Christ in, in your life, when you grasp the measure of the resurrection, there really is no other response. They're in awe of what they've just seen. The stone is rolled away. But friends, we live in a skeptical day, don't we? You know, this kind of eyewitness, even today, it, it means very little to quite a few. You know, even scientific facts, we, we can't agree on them anymore, right? We, we've learned to be critical of everything, skeptical of anything you hear. And so we hear the story of a dead man being raised to life. And let's be honest, it, it does seem unfathomable. And like these women, you might even say, well, if it's true, it's a, a bit alarming. You walk in expecting to see a dead body, and instead an angel lies in his place. But it seems to me that the more that I walk the face of this earth, that the more I realize everything that we see as fact takes an element of faith, doesn't it? Let me just ask you, how do you determine in your own life what's real and what's fake? And please don't tell me you trust the Facebook feed. I mean, how do you investigate what it is that you believe? I mean, our, what, what we put our faith in, it does require proof, right? And when we want to know what's real and what's not, I feel like we, we rely on two key faculties that the Lord gave us, two things. We focus on what we see and we focus on what we hear, right? You say the sun is round. Well, how do I know? We've, we've never been there. You say, well, here, look, look in this telescope, and it proves the point. You can see that the sun is round, and the, and the scope, the, the picture tells me it's real. Or you're walking on the Madison, and another fisherman is tearing down their gear, and you ask him, you say, how was it? And they go, oh, man, it was epic. Crushed it. Such a good day. You say, well, what are you throwing? They say, oh, today I was tossing an elk hair caddis. 
And in that moment, you have to decide, you're going to take him for his word or you're going to go on your own. Right? We determine fact on what we see and what we hear. Look at this. The women stoop through the opening of that empty tomb and look at the proof the angel gives them. First, he gives them his word. He says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who's crucified. He's risen. He is not here. And then he gives them a picture. See the place where they laid him? The same women who were firsthand witnesses to the death and burial of Christ now walk into this grave and see that the risen Lord is gone. But again, what is your stone? You might remember the name Rick Warren from years ago. He was made famous by Purpose Driven Life Series. Everybody remember that name, Rick Warren? Big deal. Rick was swinging in the big leagues of, of church land and, and secular land for that matter, all over the shelves. What many don't know is that at the time of his peak in his, in his career and his success story, he and his wife went through the, the darkest tragedy no parent should ever have to face. Their 27-year-old son took his life. Matthew had fought this battle of depression and mental illness for years. And, of course, the, 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 the media and the friends and the, the acquaintances of Rick were asking him over and over again, how, how did you get through this? How does a man of faith get to the other side of such a, a, a dark pattern? He told this journalist finally one day, he said, you know, I've been asked that question a thousand times. And he said, here's my thought. He said, from the very first time I was asked it until now, he said, the answer is clear to me. He said, the answer is Easter. He went on to explain it. Look at this. Look what he said. He said, here's the fact of life. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus happened over three days, right? And you will face those same three days over and over again in your lifetime. And when you do, you will find yourself asking, as I did, Rick said, three fundamental questions. One, what do I do in my days of pain? Two, how do I get through my days of doubt and confusion? Three, how in the world do I get back to the days of joy and victory? In other words, who will roll away this stone? The answer is Easter. You know, that idea of hope is inborn in us, right? There, there was a recent study by neurologists uh, that, that proved there is a direct correlation between a healthy lifestyle and that word hope. In one study, they found that college students who were hopeful actually in their studies were twice as likely to graduate. In another study, they found that hopeful athletes actually perform better on the field. It proved that they heal much faster from their injuries, have greater mental adjustment, and situations change. Yet another study showed that senior citizens who, who were hopeless were twice as likely to die in the follow-up period with the, the study than those who had hope. He is risen, the angel said. He is not here. See, whatever it is in your life that's holding you back from experience, the fullness of that hope of, of God's love for you, the Easter story is the women looked up and saw the stone gone. So the angel gives them a commission, right? He says, look, go and tell the disciples and also go tell Peter. He's going before you into Galilee. Now, of all the names to call out, of all the disciples that the angel could have spoken of, why would you call out Peter? Tell all the disciples, but, but whatever you do, make certain Peter hears the news. You know, no one's talking about it, but it's the elephant in the room, right? We just learned Peter screwed up bad. 
Peter, how could you? You denied everything. You denied even knowing Jesus. Peter was in an absolute failure. He was stuck in his sin and his shame and his sorrow. Yet the angel tells these women, be sure Peter hears this firsthand. And we're told upon hearing the news that the women are so overwhelmed, they're shaking, they're, they're trembling. But just when you think the crescendo of Easter is coming, just when you think the crescendo of the sermon has arrived, Mark's gospel leaves us with a cliffhanger. The greatest story ever told now ends abruptly. That's it. If you didn't have Matthew, Luke, or John, you have no idea what happens next. If you had your Bibles open, you'd, you'd notice that there's something in brackets that says this, this part of Mark's gospel is written later. It ends, look, in verse 8, this is how it ends. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They were so focused on the mission at hand to tell Peter and the others, they didn't stop once to tell a single soul. And yet in their fear, it's an abrupt ending, isn't it? We don't want to end Easter like that, with fear, trembling. Why would you end the story of Jesus' resurrection so quickly? Why no wrap-up? What happens next? In our Bible study on Thursday mornings, I'm surrounded by uh, men much wiser than I, and we, we sparked up this conversation. I said, help me end this sermon. One of them had a really poignant thought. He said, I think he nailed it. He said, you know, some of the best movies I've ever watched end like that, end with a cliffhanger. And it leaves you with this proverbial question, right? It leaves you now looking inward and asking yourself, what is your stone? What are you going to do with the good news of Easter? Where is your fear at play? Who will you tell? Romans 8 makes us this promise. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us now from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Three women awake early in the morning. They are convinced this is the end. Convinced that the stone in front of them is, is too big to move. Convinced that Jesus Christ had died. And as daybreak lifted, they found the stone rolled away. He is risen. Say it with me. He is risen indeed. Pray with me. So God, we, we all likely bring something that stands in a, as an impediment between us and you. And Lord, you know it. You know every heartbeat in this room. So God, I just pray that you would overwhelm us with the hope of Easter this morning. Lord, that that good news would not just be news that we read in a newspaper, but that it would be good news that we know from our head to our heart. Lord, that, that we would give our lives to you that by your Holy Spirit, you would change us. God, and like those women, we would stand astonished at what you've done for us. Lord, we ask that you would make us a, a resurrection people that would, would share your good news, Lord, that as we look at the cliffhanger and the, the question now pointed back at us of what will you do with this, this story, Lord, we pray, make us a part of it. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen.